1: Kel Arteta shown up as not being knowledgeable about his players as Julian Nagelsmann reveals that actually Kai Havertz was always a left back. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Black man, Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Spent 65000000 million. Didn't even know he was a left back. It's, I'm not going to say it's sackable. I mean, that's probably going over the top. But if I were to the Kronkies, I'd, I'd want him in my office, a mate. How did you not know the guy was a left back? Scored five minutes into the game that they subsequently lost to Turkey. So we are happy, of course, for Kai Havertz to score a goal. I will admit I've not seen it. A lot of fun little clips doing the rounds of Arsenal players doing things. One of the things I enjoyed Arsenal players doing was not starting games, but Kai Osaka and Declan Rice starting from the bench. I enjoyed Leo Troussard doing a a bit of a thing. I don't know if you've seen the video. Did a bit of a thing. Lifted a ball over a player and then kicked the ball past the player and then dribbled the ball past the player. It It was a beautiful thing to behold. I hope that I have just described it in audio format in a way that gives you a clear sense of the technical brilliance and and mastery that he uh, displayed. We got a bit to talk about today. I wouldn't say we've got a lot to talk about, but we are going to do some hypotheticals about the remainder of Arsenal season and what we think is achievable and how we're going to achieve it. So we'll turn this into more of a a thought piece, think piece on the Arsenal season. But I got to tell you, Giant Gooner, Matt, joined me over the weekend To do something we do a few times a season, and it is, I think, one of the more fun things we do, if you like data, because Matt shares uh, non-public-facing, deep-dive data into the Arsenal season so far, both uh, club versus other clubs in the league level, and then players within the squad level, so like how they rate within the squad and what their contributions are to the squad, and part two, which will come this week, will be the deep dive into individual player performances. There's some fascinating stuff in there on how our strikers are performing, uh Zinchenko I think is an interesting one Declan Rice's performance Kai Havertz of course one to keep an eye on and then how we're performing versus other teams and versus last season so that's out there uh coming I believe tomorrow will be EVP not AVP EVP Elliott versus Paul where we basically just get to tee off we're gonna have topics picked by you a couple of topics and we're gonna debate them tooth and nail but here's the here's the twist going to flip a coin while we're recording to see which side we have to take in the debate so we can't just retreat to our priors we got to actually go with what we're given so that'll be fun if you want to join us over there we'd love to have you over there uh we are doing something basically every single day to keep you uh entertained through what is a very dry interlow. but if you don't want to be over there we're just thrilled you over here and over here right now we are thrilled to introduce tim you can find him on twitter at stominator hello tim hello there and clive on twitter clive bfc hello club hello there I don't know how long I will continue to do the you can find him on Twitter at given that it is not called Twitter and given that, you know, I'm not sure how many listeners are even on the platform anymore, but uh, it's just a thing we do. So I'm just going to keep doing it because my mouth does it and my mouth likes it and I do whatever my mouth likes. Um, So uh, let's do a couple of quick hits, a couple of silly things just right off the top Clive, anything from around the world of international football that, that jumps out to you? I think some big news coming that we haven't really, like that hasn't happened yet, but will happen is some rumors that all the Gabbies are potentially going to start against Argentina on Tuesday, I believe is, is the game. Um, that would be Martinelli, Magalhães, and Jesus. Any international thoughts? Is that something that, that's, that you're excited to look out for?
2: A few things that that in my life this morning. One big thing is a bit of a sad thing actually that the Barcelona midfielder Gavi has got an ACL in a game that meant absolutely nothing and he's going to be out for nine months as we know and the Tim, well, Tim saw yesterday Beth Mead made her first start one calendar year on from the injury. So it tells you how long this really realistically takes to get over and Tim will no doubt concur. Beth is still on her way back. Shall we say? Not. not and the then there's all the in subsequent
1: world. injuries and the the niggles and the soft tissue injuries that go with it. Yeah, it's just a. Yeah,
2: a I tough think road it's such a to shame. Some people are gonna say, "Well, get getting injury in training club. Yeah, yeah, you can. He's paid a lot of minutes. Yeah, yeah. I, I gotta be honest with you, If I'm Barcelona, I'd be upset at that. Really upset. A you know, stunning player for them, and he's gone. Right, and um, so I feel sad about that without knowing all the background. Um, seeing our three Brazilians go out and play I think yeah what, what can we say one minute Jesus is um, sitting on a not training at Arsenal next minute he's doing flying side volleys on my Twitter timeline so uh, <laughs> yeah I feel really cool about that you know what I mean <laughs> knowing the player he is he's the one of those players that never gives 100% does he I mean crikey I mean he, the, the record in training he's, all, he's basically the best trainer full stop and there's no competition Right, so um, and <laughs> he's going to go out there and give it everything, particularly playing against Argentina, which is a huge game. So um, I'm thinking that, like you are, no doubt, Elliot, thinking towards Brentford, and won't be long before Arsenal fans looking at when planes land and how many hours they've mm-hmm. got between the the game on Saturday night. Um, so yeah, it's going to be one of those weeks, I'm afraid.
1: I think you're right. Um, we did our power rankings pod on Friday, we went into this a bit, but I just think the way international competition works and the way they use players and the increasing demand on their time reminds me of the Arsene Wenger quote about international managers being car thieves, right? Who take the car, race it around, return it broken. And, you know, I, I always get a little bit of pushback on this. There are people that really enjoy international football, and that is totally fair. I get it. I think it is the football calendar that is the problem, and both clubs and international federations are responsible for that, Um you know, we may be looking at another mid-season World Cup down the road if Saudi Arabia gets the World Cup as is expected. So I don't know if that's even already been just confirmed that it's done. It's confirmed. Okay, so yeah, so that I would imagine will wind up being another mid-season World Cup. And, you know, the, the summer preseason stuff, now these international tours, these friendlies, right, they're not quite so friendly. It's not going into the hinterlands of Germany anymore and playing the lo- the local five-a-side team, <laughs> you know, like it's – It's real competition. United tried to kick us off the pitch in New Jersey, right? Like these, the calendar is filling up. The demands on the players time is getting, uh, is increasing. And there is a ceiling on how much they can do. And players are starting younger. You know, player careers used to be used to, your prime used to be 30 to 34. I mean, look at Lee Dixon. You know, when, when did he retire from Arsenal? 38 years old or something like that? 39 years old. Now, now, the careers really do start at eighteen, and the primes are twenty two to twenty four and so many minutes in their legs at young ages. it's it's a problem that we're going to just see continue. I mean, Tim, I, I don't want to go too far on this because I think by and large, it's a tedious topic we have no control over, and people would rather just hear some analysis of stuff that's happening. So certainly feel free to weigh in. I, I think the issue of Jesus playing in this international break is a tough one. I've said if you want to spin it, you could spin it as a positive for Arsenal in that. If we have any intention to use him in the Brentford game, for example, and subsequently, you know, in in the coming games, a bit of football under his belt isn't the worst thing. You know, he has to play somewhere, but I'm sure the club would have preferred he was home with his feet up and not flying intercontinental flights and whatnot. So thoughts on internationals, on player usage, what's standing out to you?
3: yeah i i think this is uh this is one of those things the older you get in life the more you realize that lots of problems just don't have solutions um and and it really is about trying to find the least worst uh one in the case like i've always had a little bit more kind of um because the the reason this doesn't have an elegant solution is because it's a global thing and there are different schedules in different countries and also the the Uh, the level of competition has different weights. So in UEFA at the moment, like UEFA qualifying, particularly if you're an England fan, just looks ridiculous because England qualify all the time. Everyone thumps everyone. There's lots and lots of like smaller countries now because the topography of Europe has changed. So from a UEFA perspective, when you're at like coming at it from the top of that UEFA tree, it all looks a bit pointless. But then you look at Brazil and Brazil have an enormous World Cup qualifier against Argentina on Tuesday night that Brazil have, haven't won in five I think um, they had a really bad international break last time they lost to Colombia Um, on Friday morning um, they were 1-0 up and uh, actually very emotional scenes Luis Diaz scored twice in the last 10 minutes which and his father was in the stadium given all that they've been through and that was a massive deal for qualifying massive deal because it's the first time I think Colombia have beaten Brazil in a qualifier um, I don't know in about 306 years or something like that so like the, like in CONMEBOL, Bowl, qualifying's difficult, it's long, and the games mean something. Like the South American teams, particularly when they're in the World Cup qualifying, that it takes three years for a start, so the calendar's different um, to UEFA, and it means they don't play that many meaningless friendlies. Um, so for Brazil, this is massive, and Brazil have a striker crisis at the moment. They didn't have any striker against Colombia. They, they kind of played a four-four-two, and they just threw Hafinha Martinelli, Vinicius Junior, and one more wide player. Rodrigo. Um, who- Rodrigo, that's it. Yeah. So they basically just had four wingers and played a 4 4 2 and just chucked them all out and just went, um, just go where you feel like kind of thing. So they. Isn't that kind of. Denise, am I saying his name right? Isn't that kind of his whole thing anyway,
1: though, right? Like a little bit.
3: Run around? Yeah. A, A little bit. He does. Yeah. He does have this thing, particularly about his wide players having loads and loads of freedom. And he's considered quite a kind of revolutionary coach because he has that carousel. But the, the situation is driving that as well because Neymar is injured, Richarlison is injured, um, Anthony is not available, who unbelievably, um, it's actually quite a big, or has been a big player for Brazil. I don't know whether he would be under this coach. So they're they getting really bad results. They're in trouble in World Cup qualifying. And this is Argentina. Like th- that that is a, you know, that, that's a bad cocktail for us. I mean, it's a bad cocktail in terms of Gabriel Jesus for Martinelli. Martinelli scored against Colombia, his first goal for Brazil. He's starting games now, you know, like he's, he's really kind of broken into that picture and that says something about how far he's come. But yeah, so and and that and like like I said on the last pod, like particularly African nations who do not get the benefit of their big players because they will go off to Europe, and it's the same for South America. Like I have more truck with that because those countries and those associations deserve to have the benefit of those players. But like in a UEFA sense, like who have England got? Like tomorrow, Macedonia. Like and they've already qualified. Like I'm sorry if I see Bukayo Saka like playing in that game i'm i'm gonna be getting gareth southgate's address um i really <laughs> am like if I'm him sure. and declan right Roy- like, sure. like like get like get like jordan henderson that that's about the level of football he's playing nowadays like he can play like calvin phillips is basically in retirement like play those guys like if yeah. and Rice are playing in that then yeah i'm i'm you know i'm I'm making an intervention um, and I'll probably say no more for legal reasons. So (laughs) basically what I'm saying is like there isn't like a perfect solution and also clubs are putting lots of pressure on uh, the fixture list as well with like Club World Cup, expanded Champions League, another European competition in the Conference League. Like the, the clubs are kind of doing this as well. Um, and so you know, it's it's not. I don't think it's just as kind of cut and dried as national teams bad, club teams good. Um, but at the same time, certainly UEFA feels feels very very unsatisfactory. And I again, it's hard to do because of the different calendars. But I'd really love to explore just maybe having like a break in the season. And having like a run of these qualifiers, perhaps in January or something, and just saying, right, play like six World Cup qualifiers in January and let's stop having these kind of breaks in the season. I don't think that's great for player welfare either, because they go to different environments, exposed to different training loads and methods. They might be doing completely different things. They might be going playing for countries who play deep blocks, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It puts a different different physical toll on you Mm. and so i I don't think it's fantastic for player health and and also for the popularity of the international game we see during tournaments people tend to quite like it because that's a sustained period of time there's no club football woohoo the world cup's on in june and july this is it kind of thing whereas i think all of these breaks it just doesn't feel satisfactory
1: no, and not to do a, co- a capitalism segment, but like it is the clubs that pay a hundred five million pound transfer fee, followed by a quarter million pound a week for the player, um, and it's just basically a sense of loyalty and responsibility that pays for the player. I know they get paid by their federation, but it's it obviously pales in comparison. It pales in terms of the financial risk. Um, and I'm not saying that should drive every decision and the world should be governed by that, but it is a, it is a clash that feels slightly unsustainable to me. Um, you would not buy a car, to Arsene Wenger's point, and then just let someone every six weeks take your car for a week while you continue to make the payments on it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, I wonder what would happen. You know what would be really interesting? how often would players get used in smaller qualifiers or friendlies if what the federations had to do is pay the weekly wage of that player during the period they were with them so if you had to pay declan rice's quarter million a week you might not play him against gibraltar or call him up even in you know what i mean in a friendly window now to be fair you know again you can't do that because you have nations that simply can't afford to do that and suddenly you're punishing less wealthy nation. So it is, it is really difficult and players do want to play for the nation. I don't want to pretend that international football doesn't have a place and people do love it. I will confess. I don't like international football and I don't care about it. If the U S men's national team was folded tomorrow in the pursuit of more club football and less international football, I I am speaking just as me. I would be completely fine with it. Okay. Um, but that's because club football is the thing that I love the most and I don't like these two weeks without it. And, um, you know, let's be honest. Let's not be hypocritical. If international football went away tomorrow, you know what club football would do? They'd just add more competitions and add more fixtures and the same injury and overworking issues would exist. It would just be done by the clubs, not the nation. So I, I fully accept uh, and acknowledge it's happening. Clive, just quickly, though, on the on the Brazil thing, What's your overall viewpoint on Jesus potentially getting some minutes? I mean, I, I've talked myself into the idea that it it's going to be an intense game, that it should be a pretty high-level game, and if he comes through it okay and doesn't play 90 plus six and comes back in reasonable shape, that it might might be good for us, or am I just trying my damnedest to see the silver lining?
2: Uh, I think uh, where I was there, because... In the end, you can't control if he's going to play or not. I thought, what's the most important outcome from this? We have three players that are going to be in the team. And this new manager, sorry, interim manager, Denise, he likes those players, so I believe, and I read. And they've got a much greater chance with him than previous guy. Um am sorry, I've got his name. Mm. Tim knows it. Um, so, yeah. Was it cheating? Yeah, I think, I think so. That's right, Tim.
3: Uh, gee, they had another interim who was absolutely rubbish, That's but Denise is actually very highly regarded.
2: Mm. Yes, very highly regarded. I think it was he the guy that manages Fluminese that won the big trophy the other day, Libertadores. and yep. basically the way he plays, there's lots of great stuff out there. If you read a guy called Jamie Hamilton, does a lot of great stuff on him, all about relationism and versus positionalism. We spoke about it briefly on this podcast. It's wonderful theories of how to play the game, how to move the ball, how to create ladders on the pitch. Wonderful stuff for those people that are you know, deeply into that. And he seems to like those three players. And, and as Tim has told us for many, many years, how international football does mean a hell of a lot to Brazilian people. It is the ultimate for them. And so in my mind, I thought, OK, you can't stop it. It's going to happen. We've got Brentford on Saturday it's up to the club to send over a private jet and get them home in a nice timely manner and get their legs up. That's what I'm thinking about. But more importantly, I think it's very important we maintain a good relationship with the Brazilian Federation because I guarantee you in the future there's going to be another hot talent coming out of Brazil and we'd like the Brazilian Federation to say we don't mind our players going to Arsenal because they look after them, they have a good relationship with them. We don't want to be the bad cop here. And suddenly, when there's a choice of going to clubs, the Brazilian Federation are saying to the next hot talent, you're going to Europe, but you're not going to Arsenal because they don't like, they don't listen to us, they don't tell, they're not honest and transparent with their player injury situations, etc. I think that's the most important thing. And we just have to have a director of football that is very well connected to that Brazilian Federation. So for me, it's so important. There are players coming out of South America every two minutes that have got supreme talent at a good price it's a market we cannot afford not to be in we're well positioned so i think that's the most important thing if that means our center force gotta sit down for an hour on saturday night i'll take that for the future benefit of the club going forward
1: Yeah. yep well i think we can move on from this topic and uh by the way we so clive and i did the power rankings episode on friday over on patreon we did a deep deeper-ish dive into the Everton situation, the repercussions for Chelsea and City, uh, also into Mikel Arteta being charged and stuff like that. But I feel like those are topics we at least need to touch on here. So, Tim, I think we can dispense with this pretty quickly. It's just basically a judgment call. I figure 15-point deduction in lifetime ban for Mikel, is that is that about right? What what do you have as the the correct <laughs> disciplinary action for I mean, and let's say it bringing the game into disrepute because mm-hmm. when I think of football and I think of the things that are wrong with football, it's not state money and soft power and, you know, violent tackles and racism. It, it, it is being somewhat critical of referees. <laughs> that's, that is the thing that's probably going to drive me out of the game. So we need to drive Mikel out of the game. Do I have that wrong?
3: Yeah, I, I think on this, for a start, everybody knew that this was going to happen and Arteta knew this was going to happen the moment he made the comments. Arsenal knew it was going to happen. Arsenal released the statement supporting him. Like Everyone knew this was going to happen from the off and there is a very, very big part of me that's just like everyone knows that this is good. Everyone kind of knows the rules of the game, the rules of engagement here. And I do think as much as... This is another one that's not simple because on one hand, everything you've said is right. And we've got a situation at the moment where we've got people, like we've got clubs, we've got a situation where essentially about 90% of the last like 18 league titles are under some form of dispute, Mm -hmm. which is really not healthy. And we've got a team sitting in the league who have now been docked 10 points, like quite disreputable but at the same time it's a little bit apples and oranges um, to say that but yeah it's it's kind of I do think there is an important part about not just being able to have a go at the referee all the time or in such a way it's a bit like you know when players have a go at the referee and there's a little bit of tolerance but if you say something like cheat then you're booked like that. that's like that's misconduct, for example, and so what you say about the referee. Uh, at the same time, there is something about you know free speech. There is something about managers being interviewed in the heat of the moment. There is something about us wanting managers to be authentic. I do think there's something here as well about um, and how much you like it, not so much in the charge, but in the potential punishment. I do think the FA should know that Arteta doesn't often do this. He doesn't often talk about referees. He might make a passive-aggressive remark, you know, that famous one, like if I say what, I'm think, what I think I'm suspended six months, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is kind of a way of giving the finger without giving the finger, etc. But he doesn't usually do that. So like, I, I do think that should count for something in the punishment. At the same time, I do understand why it's in the FA's interests, that they can't just have open season on referees and there's a there's a thing about the wider game there one of the reasons we have probably quite poor quality referees is because it's not a very attractive job and we're not we're certainly i mean i i don't believe that all of the best refereeing talent just happens to drink in the same pub in greater Manchester. Like, I don't, I don't believe that that's correct. I don't so- know. Now you're getting into conspiracy theories, Sam. Come on.
1: <laughs> but, but that, it's that, that says something about. Unless it comes from the referee region of Manchester.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like, clearly we have an issue like attracting referees. And I think that's really understandable. I don't want that job. Like, I don't, I don't know what you'd have to pay me. And, and maybe there's something there. Maybe there's something there about pay mm-hmm. for referees. And, you know, what are we really doing to attract the best talent? But I do also, like, I do think the FA has a responsibility to protect referees to an extent because we've got this issue in the game. And every week you read, particularly like at um, amateur level, about referees being assaulted and things like that. And this kind of real climate. Um, of of like distrust towards referees. But at the same time, I think what we've got at the moment is not good because there is an atmosphere of mistrust between clubs and referees, uh, between clubs and the PGO, MOL. Like, there are those things going on. And I do think something... I'm not saying don't charge Mikel Arteta. I, I'm not really asked that he's charged, to be honest. Whatever he's fined, I'm sure he can afford it and I'm sure it's one of the one of my favorite quotes ever is from Ian Wright where Ian Wright said um, I got fine 15,000 no, 1500 pounds for calling Coventry fans wankers and it's the best 1500 quid I ever spent. <laughs> <laughs> he he determined that that was you know he had enough money and that was worth his money to do that and I think that would be the same with Arteta obviously a touchline ban would be a different thing but personally if I was looking at it ultimately objectively I would say a suspended touchline ban Possibly feels about right here because it is really a first offense. And say, okay, if you do that again, then we'll take you off the touchline. Whether that's what will happen or not, I don't know. But bro- more broadly, something has to be done here. I think to kind of um, break this atmosphere of mistrust, and it's not Howard Webb and Michael Owen on a silly TV show.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the first first thing to your point about it's not a great job and you couldn't pay me enough to do it. I will promise you they could pay you enough to do it. <laughs> um, and this goes to the point. They should be professionalized. They should be paid properly. And it should be their full-time job. And I would, re- I, w- I would like to ask everybody listening to this podcast right now who has a full-time job to try the following exercise. Don't Please don't try this. Tell your employer you will be in Saudi Arabia doing contract work this week. And unavailable for your main job. Or, you know, you'll be back in time to do your main job. You'll you'll be doing some contract work in in Saudi Arabia or Chile or Japan or whatever. Well, they won't let you do that because you're employed by them and you're paid a wage that you've agreed is the wage you deserve for the job that you have. And that's how that works. The idea that referees are moonlighting midweek in other regions and stuff means that they are not Sufficiently professionalized and not sufficiently employed. It should be full-time employment at an excellent wage with no opportunity for outside work as a condition of the employment. This is your job. You train to do it five days a week, you do it every week, and you do it year-round. You attend conferences to improve it. You do all the things you have to do, but you are employed. You are an employee of the Premier League. That's what it should be. It isn't, and it's a shame. Now, as far as the the points. Tim, that you've made. I'm going to say something that I never would have expected myself to say. I kind of agree that they can't let managers do this for a simple reason. The temperature over refereeing is too hot. And that is how you wind up with a situation like you had in the Europa League last season, where Jose Mourinho makes incendiary comments and people chase a referee and his family through the airport. This this cannot happen. It must not happen. Now, I have been very clear about speech on this podcast that I don't think criticism is incitement. That if bad people act badly, you do not blame someone who is critical. If a referee makes a mistake and someone goes in front, you know, in front of the press and says they made a mistake and I think that mistake cost us the game, that person is not to blame for a horde of thugs chasing a referee through an airport. The horde of thugs are responsible for it. But clearly the temperature is very hot right now. And it probably needs to be taken down. And there are two ways to take it down. One, you do have to enforce some rules about what you say about referees. And two, you have to make them better and fix it. Now, the two we've been very clear about. So the one is the one we're here to talk about. And ultimately, Clive, uh, I, I think that football's obsession with politeness is overdone. I think that we should be allowed to hear people say critical things of referees. But I do think that we have an issue with the temperature around refereeing right now. And so, my instinct to normally say, Yeah, screw this, right? Say what you want. My instinct is that we probably have to get that temperature down and get this sorted out. I, I, I mean, I don't think there should be a touchline ban, but I guess I kind of am reaching the point where I accept that. Do you accept that hypothesis or feel differently about it?
2: <clears throat> I, I don't, I feel a little bit differently. I, I think the whole referee pay thing is something that we've spoken about. So, I had a quick look they get paid around a 40 grand a year retainer and they can earn anywhere around between 70 to a hundred thousand pound a year. That's insanely low. Right? Insanely probably low. Get, They probably get, you know, they get the hotels and their state Diane sorted out for them in, in the restaurant of the hotel. Uh, I met Uriah Rennie once in Newcastle when he was refereeing and <laughs> he had to book into a hotel under a name, Mickey Mouse so no one knew where he was staying. And I met him and sat in, he had a good chat about refereeing. And so, um, So yeah, they need to be paid more. That's why, And so they're not popping off to the Middle East to earn extra money. And by the way, I don't blame them. Because when they go to the Middle East, on those first-class flights, can you imagine it? On those first-class flights, paid up extra money, probably five times, ten times more than they're getting in the Premier League for one game. And then they're sitting there having lovely, treated in a wonderful way, in a first-class way, when they come back and have to referee that team at the weekend in on Saturday night in Newcastle five thirty because that suits Saudi Arabia time. This 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 needs to be stopped, just so that we can't even think about the possibility when someone treats you well and you're refereeing their team. You're a human being; you cannot help but have a reaction to that. We're all human, right? So um, that's why in business they have things like that. You take people out to get their favour. Do you know what I mean? And that's what happens all across the world in sales, et cetera, et cetera. On the Arteta thing, I will say, I think Arteta doesn't do anger well for this country. When he gets angry, it doesn't suit the culture of this country. Right? So there is a, there's a gap there between him doing it and somebody like Tim Sherwood doing it. We understand that. So uh, we've seen that before. We've grown up with it. Arteta does it, when he says the word, it's an embarrassment, it's a disgrace to be part of this. These words were chosen very carefully, to be part of this. That's not a goal. He didn't go down to specifics. There were four instances in that goal. There was the ball being out of play, there was an offside, there was a handball, and there was a push in the back. On three of those instances, I've said it before, I'm going to say it again, because people are not listening. On three of those instances, we were unable to have the camera angle to validate if it was a goal or not. On three out of four instances, we couldn't see. So when someone says it's an embarrassment, that goal, it should never be in a goal. What he's saying really is, constructively, although he didn't actually say it out loud, bar isn't fit for purpose because we couldn't see. And so he we went with an on-field decision, which the guy took based on his eye, knowing it's going to be checked. And When it's checked and you can't see, they're in a situation where you can't overturn on field decision, is that to me? That's worth talking about, isn't it? Isn't that worth talking about? Forget that it's us, that's worth talking about it's constructively about how we can make things better. And so, the manager loses his rag after a game. That lasts about two minutes. And he did it three times, by the way. He does a he does an Arsenal interview. He does a, a press conference interview. Tim, we know this because you're in the room some of these days. And he does a various TV interview. And the words were very similar on all three. Every, I watched them all. On all three. Which means there was a controlled reaction to this. And then the club came in afterwards and with a statement about officialism, about officialing per se. Quite a broad statement, but a little bit more specific than what Arteta says. And so what then happens is we have this media maelstrom, media issues for the whole week, and then the noise you guys are talking about is created thereafter. And that's the thing that creates a, a very harsh environment for referees. But that's us poking somebody to get a reaction to then use that same, poke, that same stick to hit the club over the head with. I think it's boring and it's embarrassing and we're not being constructively trying to improve the game. We're trying to really focus on how people talk about the game and the style by which they do it. And I don't think that's the right focus of the game. The game is sitting there with one team with 10 points against them in the league, another team with 115 charges and another team basically paying money into offshore accounts and hiding funds. The game has a problem. You know, what's happened to Everton, it has a real problem because there are other teams waiting to sue. For 20 million quid, that club could be in trouble, could go out of business and it's got a new ground being built. The game has a problem. Let's not, let's focus on the stuff that's really important. I get really angry about this. Let's focus on stuff that's really important. Improve the technology in the game. Making sure we've got the best of the best because we've got the most money. Pay the referees properly. Stop paying idiot players too much money. Stop paying idiot agents too much money. Pay the players' The referees properly. They so said it becomes an elite job. We get elite people wanting to be it, right? And let's do things right, and let's not focus on the talk sport narratives that come out. Because our manager, in his second language, maybe was a little bit heavy for five minutes after a game where he's lost the game unfairly, and there are three thousand fans sitting up in the gods that he feels duty bound to speak for. And I'm and I'm right behind him. I gotta say, I'm right behind him.
3: Can yeah. I um just add on that because I, I think there are first of all I think Clive's right to point out again this is not to make excuses for Arteta per se but first of all this does feel like uh, this feels a bit WWE this feels like someone creeping at like running into the ring smashing a guy over the head with with a steel chair and him getting pinned um and you know like Clive said about like the talk sport now like that does feel like that's too influential because. Uh, maybe i'm wrong has roberto Deserbi been charged yet for saying he hates 80% of the referees I'm no not. i
1: i imagine that's coming i <laughs> i would i would guess cuz he said that quite a bit later than
3: Mikel, right he, so he did he did and they usually they write to them and invite them for their comments yeah. and all of that
2: but i I'll, I'll, i um, haven't seen simon Jordan's show talking about it yet uh, tim to be honest no, so i haven't seen the other shows no which is <laughs>
3: Yeah, which is why I'm dubious about it. I also think, again, not to make too many excuses because I know the guy's been in the country a long time and all that. The second language thing is, um, it is a thing. It just is. And uh, listen, my second language skills aren't as good as Mikel Arteta's, but I know, you know, I speak to my daughter in a second language. I know when things get heated and she's having a tantrum, I have to switch to English because when your brain is a little bit (laughs) overheated, it's very, very difficult to command to have a proper command of like your words and your vocabulary. Like I said, I know Mikel Arteta is very, very fluent, has been in the country a long time. So I don't, you know, but I I think there is something about, there's a difference between knowing all of the words and really knowing, you know, having that, yeah, yeah, that confidence and because your brain is still kind of ticking over, um, a little bit. So I I do think there is something in that, albeit, like I said, I'm I'm not going to pretend that Mikel Arteta doesn't have a pretty perfect command of English. My default
1: position usually is that PGMOL and the Premier League and all the English have they can all get to fuck. This is stupid. This is performative. My reason for feeling slightly different now is I, I I think the conversation around refereeing has reached a fever pitch this season. Um I think someone ran a poll. I and again, you know, internet polls are not a reflection of reality always, but it was like What's the thing that stood out most about this football season so far? And the poor level of officiating in VAR was like the overwhelming winner. I do not think if you're the Premier League, you want the overwhelming top story of your season as voted on by people who follow football accounts to be the poor. And this wasn't an Arsenal account, by the way. I do not think you want the overwhelming story of your season to be the poor poor standard of officiating in VAR. That's not sustainable. You know, ideally, you want the referees to not be a center of attention. They're always good looking football. They're always going to be. I have a question about whether there should just be one referee, one guy in control of these games that move faster and faster and faster. And there's more and more camera angles. And the players are faster. And the players are more talented. The players are richer. And, you know, have their fan bases are more rabid. And you've got one guy in charge of the whole game making all these decisions. It's why I think VAR was smart to come into the game to help the guy. I mean, whether there should be another referee on the pitch, you know, you tell me, but... But I do accept that the, that the temperature of the conversation around refereeing right now is, is a problem. And we got to get through the season without it disraeling or disraeling, derailing the season. We'll see how that happens. I want to talk about why Liverpool can win the league, he says, teasing the next segment. But in order for you to hear more about that and Tim to explain why it can happen, which he assured me before the pod he wants to do, I have to tell you that it is November and November is sometimes referred to as Movember. Movember is a movement. It is a cause. It is designed to bring attention to men's health issues like prostate and testicular cancer and mental health. And the goal of Movember is to encourage men to talk more openly about their health and to raise funds for research and support programs and to remind you to get tested. And NordVPN is participating in a program to do that. And you'll also have the opportunity to donate a pound, five pounds, 10 pounds to the nominated charity for men's health causes if you want. And so I uh, was encouraged and am happy to uh, remind everybody about that before telling you the NordVPN is the best VPN I've ever used. And it's the one that I do use. And it's the one that's easiest to use. It's an app on your computer, Windows, uh, Apple, iPhone, Android, whatever you just Tap a button and boom, you're browsing in another region. So when you're outside of your country, you can browse back to all of the streaming services that you have when you're inside your country and want to get something that isn't available in your country, you can browse somewhere else. So when you want to watch Match of the Day to see how Manchester United threw away more points or see how Arsenal dominated the game on Match of the Day and see their expert analysis um, of why Mikel Arteta's touchline antics are not acceptable and bring the game into disrepute, you can do that. Not that you may want to. Not only can you browse in other regions with NordVPN, but you can protect yourself. There's threat protection, um, which I think is great. There's uh, there's also the privacy of it, right? So just you can't have your browsing tracked. So there are a lot of good reasons to use a VPN. Nord's the one to do. You can get an exclusive deal. This is pretty good. They've never done this before. Four bonus months. So you're going to get a big discount off your Nord plan and then four bonus months for free completely risk-free too with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So you go to nordvpn.com slash Vision. That's nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision, nordvpn.com slash Vision for bonus months, completely risk-free with Nord. So do that now. And last but not least, if you're building a team, you need the best talent. And if you're building a business, you need the best talent. Those two things are the same, but the way you get the talent slightly different. If you're building a team, you go in the transfer window and you spend a lot of money if you're building talent for your business, you can use Indeed, and Indeed is the one hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Look, it's this simple. You have a choice if you're hiring. You can use 40 different hiring sites, write copy on all of them, put posts up on all of them, monitor the posts on all of them, monitor the candidates that apply on all of them, hope to find the right one, collate all that, and spend all that extra time and maybe not get what you looking for, or you can use one platform that does it all. With Instant Match, for example, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed U.S. data. Okay, and this is the thing I like. Indeed is the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. You pay for what you want, and that is a critical component of any transaction, I would say. Indeed is powerful. You can join more than three million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a seventy five dollar sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Blue Wire Sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your seventy five dollar credit now at Indeed.com slash Blue Wire Sports. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire Sports and support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire Sports. German blind, you hire Indeed. Clive, is that enough of that? Indeed. Okay, Tim, I'm going to ask you to Steelman an argument.
3: Okay, that's nearly my second name. so It is. Tim
1: (laughs) Steelman. The Steelman. The Steelman has become the Steelman. The Man of Steel. Superman, you might say. Um, Tim, we are focused on catching up Manchester City and beating them to the title for the first time in 47 years, having won it the last 46 straight. Thanks (laughs) to their expert business acumen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it is that expert business acumen that has seen them accrue record profits. So we do want to congratulate them on running their business so efficiently. But, but in all of this com- conversation, we really haven't been talking about Liverpool much. And right now, uh-huh. if you're a betting market or if you're a statistical market or a modeling market, if you use Scott's statistical model, for mm-hmm. example, Liverpool are above Arsenal just slightly in terms of the odds of being the team that win the title i have found myself sort of dismissing liverpool dismissing is maybe too strong word but thinking nah it's going to be or city but liverpool have been quite good they are right there and i want you to tell me the argument if liverpool were to finish above arsenal this season make that argument how how should we be thinking about Liverpool as a genuine competitor? What's the argument that it could be Liverpool that goes on to catch up City or at least finish above Arsenal instead of, you know, Arsenal?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the head-to-head games between Arsenal and Liverpool will, will go a long way to determining mm-hmm. that because I don't see there being many points between us and the report at the end of the season either way. In fact, I'd go as far to say as the, the head-to-head games will probably be defining in that respect. I think with Liverpool, I mean... If we're being honest, they've rebuilt their midfield a bit more quickly than we have, (laughs) given that they replaced nearly all of it in one summer. Um, And they've kind of gone department by department, haven't they really? Like they've, they've replaced their front line and then they knew they had an issue with midfield and it took them some time to get to that because these teams that don't have utterly infinite funds kind of have to do it that way. And they've sorted their midfield pretty quickly, (laughs) actually. Um, You know, Shabozhlai in in particular, he, he looks a player and um but at the same time um maybe we're drinking the kool-aid a little bit because of the underlying metrics the fact that defensively they look a little bit more open um you know i, d- I don't know about the liverpool vision podcast maybe they're talking about the fact that their midfield is new means that it doesn't quite defend the backline line quite as much and maybe a bit like us they're saying well we're getting results while we're working it out which is kind of what we're doing except we're looking more at cutting edge and going forward and Liverpool have stacks of that Um, and to be fair we we kind of knew they'd have that but in absolute fairness to them I know they've spent quite a bit of money on that forward line but in Firmino Mane Salah I mean they were like this is Liverpool we're talking about so I'm I'm using the phrase very advisedly when I say it's up there as the best forward line in their history, and this was mm. a team that had Russian Dalgleish together for basically a decade so mm. um you know i I definitely can't say the best because they had some really good ones but and you know Gerard and torres and and all of that but that that was that was a very very big piece for them to replace that front line, and they've done it. And not smoothly, maybe. It's taken a couple of seasons, but they got there. The midfield, it kind of looks like they've done in one fell swoop, which is pretty impressive. And then next for them really is going to be the kind of um, Van Dyke is still a brilliant defender. Is he quite the defender he was? He's, what, 32, 33? That you know that that's the next piece they're going to have to kind of so th- they've kind of done things the other way around to Arsenal who went from you know defence forwards whereas Liverpool seem to have gone from attack backwards. Um, so th- they they've got some issues they're still working out. The the data seems to suggest that maybe they're getting away with it a little bit defensively, but I think what's so important for us and um, you and Matt were having this kind of conversation about the fixtures Arsenal have had so far. You know, all right, we've we've done Newcastle and Chelsea. We haven't been to either Manchester club yet. We haven't played Liverpool at all yet. We've got Tottenham away. Like a lot of our bigger away games are ahead of us, and I mm. think our Liverpool game, which is on the twenty third of December, could be really defining. And it could be whoever comes out of that period the best is the team that goes on and and kind of uh, really challenges Manchester City. I I do suspect it's going to be a bit three way. Um, it unfortunately, it might be Man City leading and us and Liverpool kind of... Fight, I say fighting for second. I think it will be mm. maybe closer than that. I don't think we'll be enormously adrift. But maybe on the last day of the season, it's Arsenal <laughs> and Liverpool playing for second place, something like that. So I, I absolutely take them seriously as a contender. It's it, It's a bit similar to us. It's a bit like... Are we just getting through some issues in attack, and we'll solve them? Because like you can't just assume they're going to be solved because they might not be. Um, And it's the same for Liverpool. Like I I haven't really seen enough of them this season to get that sense of are there defensive issues? Like are they fixing those on the fly and getting results, or is it a bit more um, that they're just getting away with it, and that will come to an end at some stage? And the the other thing, Liverpool have got Elliot which I think we've perhaps suffered from in recent seasons. They're going to have Europa League knockouts um, in the second half of the season. And I do think there's something there that that I don't know why it should be so much different from being in Champions League knockouts, but I do think the Thursday Sunday dynamic is mm. a bit more is a bit more difficult um, to be honest. There's an extra you- round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gives you the shortest turnaround time because at least in the Champions League, you might get a Tuesday to Sunday. You might get five, you might get home game Tuesday, home game Sunday, you do get those weeks of relief. You don't get that in the Europa League and we've seen they're doing what we did, they're mixing and matching their teams and trying to win games at 70% because they can. And I do think there's something about when you get to the business end of that competition, that equation becomes a bit more difficult to manage. So um, given that, I don't really dislike Liverpool that much. And um we are not catching up on their European record in several lifetimes. I'd be very happy for Liverpool to go to the Europa League. But do you know what Liverpool have the Europa League? Have it. Like you've got about 17 of them already. Go and have another one and we'll juke it out with Manchester City. And I am granting you permission to win the Europa League this year.
1: Yeah, there you go. I, I would say it's really interesting when you look at it because on the on the top line metrics We line up with them so closely. Both have eight wins, both have three draws, Both have one loss. They have 27 goals for, we have 26 goals for, they have 10 goals allowed, we have 10 goals allowed, plus 17 to plus 16 on goal difference, obviously both on 27 points. When you go to the underlying metrics, you see in the underlying metrics what I think your eyes will tell you. They have a substantially better attack, we have substantially better defense. We are five expected goals, about five and a half expected goals, better defensively. They are about five and a half expected goals of attack better, uh, in expected goals. So it's funny because when we did the data review, what Matt and I saw is if you were a Liverpool fan looking at Arsenal, you'd say Arsenal's title challenge is unsustainable with an attack performing that way. And if you're an Arsenal fan looking at Liverpool, you'd say Liverpool's title challenge is unsustainable with a defense performing that way. And so the really interesting question is, will Liverpool find a way to get more control and more balance into their team over the season? And I do not believe they have the tools to do it. But I think we can get more attack into our team because we're missing so many tools. But of course, I think that I'm an Arsenal fan. As a last point, and then I'm going to turn this over to you, Clive, to straighten this out. I think you want to watch that Liverpool-City game very, very, very carefully this weekend because that is a preview of our game with them. We play City football now. We control the territory. We try to control it through possession. We try to keep teams pushed back. We restrict chance creation. We push them back. We don't create so much, but we limit. And City have been doing pretty much what we do this season. And it'll be interesting to see if Liverpool can move that immovable force. And Chelsea, to be fair, moved that immovable object pretty well. So I'll be interested to see how Liverpool do it. And it will be a bit of a blueprint for what we might need to do against them. So Clive, we all know Manchester City are the big baddies. They're the ones that we're all trying to chase down. But I think you dismiss Liverpool at your peril. So, where do you stand on Liverpool as a thorn in our side that we must, you know, we must also pluck out uh, if we're going to go have a run at City?
2: Yeah, so we all, we always think that the, our neighbour's grass is better than ours, and um, that's all to do with angle, by the way. It's not, it never normally is. Um, so, basically, um, Liverpool are going through a bit of transition. I did read because I've been doing when we had this break. I do a little bit of research, video watching, and reading, and. There's Nike about Liverpool last week, and they've played some like 10 midfield combinations in 18 games. 10 different combinations, and I think the most popular one is McAllister, Jones, and Slobosai, I think. That's the most popular one. I look at that, and I think, that's not great. I could. It's great going one way, I'm not sure it's great going the other way. And 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 therein lies your problem. So when you talk about metrics, earlier, and I and I did listen to that as well yesterday. I thought it was brilliant. And I was shouting to my, I was shouting at you though you couldn't hear me. I was shouting, saying, "Yeah, but they're not struggling with injury like we are in in offensive areas. They have quite a good, decent injury record. So that means basically what they're doing is trying, trying hard to find their balance." So but their players are there. Right. So and what we have is a situation where we know we have absentees in our front end of our pitch. We know that our captain is injured. We know that Jesus has started, I think, two Premier League games, something like that. Um a really small sample size. We know we've lost Martinelli for a period of time. And we know we're trying to assimilate Havertz into this front five group in some way. However, he could be going into the back five group after the international break. And so we've got we've got some work to do. We know we've lost our two ball progression experts in Shaka and, and Party, And we know we're trying to find other ways to progress the ball. So our problems are clear. And while they're clear, we know they're going to get better. When the players get back healthy and fit and on the pitch more often... We're going to get better. So I look at us, and I, I like us, mate. I like us. Anything that worries me is injury to some of those defensive pillars. But I like us, because how we're playing is exactly the way we should be playing if you're talking about a league winning side and a team that could go find the Champions League. And i have to say, when I was listening to you guys yesterday, and it's not just you, it's everybody doing the same thing, Everyone's trying to look at what we did compared to last year and trying to see where we're going, where it's different. And that's fine. We can see our our creation numbers are down. But what I will say is we're one goal off Liverpool and no one would think that until I said it to you last week based on how they play, based on the things you see. We're one goal off Liverpool. We've already played Man City, by the way. They haven't. right? So we're one goal off Liverpool and, and we're still working this out. So another thing I will say is We're trying to find a way of playing. Well, actually, I don't think we're trying to find a way of playing. I think we're trying to work on multiple ways of playing. And that's the the thing you need. That's the thing we didn't have last year. When the game changed, we couldn't adapt to it. And so the focus for me is on multiple ways of playing, multiple styles, multiple faces, so we can adapt to the opposition, whatever they do on the day, or we can attack the opposition in a certain way, Because they have a weakness that we now have the tools to exploit. I think that's the goal of the season. The goal of the season is not to mirror last year. The goal of the season is to do the exact opposite. The goal of the season is to manage the season appropriately and make sure we have multiple game models that we can apply within the same game or during a series of games. And the only thing that worries me about that, Elliot, is injury to key people, not in allowing us to apply that on a, on a more regular basis. But we're already doing it without with injury right now. To key people, and we're finding a way to solidify, to use one of Scott's words, we're trading off with our, with our selection, we're finding a way to solidify, and we're finding a way to progress. It's not quite as good, but I know why. Because we haven't had... The most fluent arsenal available to us for any length of time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I I'm inclined to see it that way. And I think it's just interesting because we got very used to very quickly it being us in city last season. And, you know, I think there was this perception, it's like Liverpool's Era is beyond them. Now it's the era of Arsenal and City. But Liverpool still have Klopp. Liverpool still have Salah. Liverpool still have a Van Dijk who looks pretty good again. And Diaz and Jota, right? And Nunez and Gakpo and Soboslai and McAllister. They can, they can do all the things that, that Klopp wants a Liverpool team to do. And so I just think, I, you know, as I thought about it, as I looked at their game with City coming up and I looked at the table, I thought, you know what's weird? We're this far into the season. We just haven't talked about Liverpool at all as a threat, as a team that we have to be considering in this race. And when you have a team that has won the European Cup and won the league over City, the only team to do it in, what, seven years or whatever it is, you, you just you have to take them into account, especially with the attacking talent they have.
3: I think so, we probably also haven't talked about them because we haven't played them um, yeah. as well, and that's that's a big point that comes into it. I think
1: I, it's just funny. I, I think where this came up for me too is Scott posted his you know his latest um, model data model on like odds of where pe- teams will finish this season, and his model has Liverpool slightly slightly ahead in terms of you know chance to finish where. In the table, right, slightly ahead of Arsenal, and you look at the replies, and it's sort of like, oh, your model can't be right if it's got Liverpool ahead of Arsenal. And I just ha- had me think like, well, why not? You know, why? Let's talk about it. Let's let's talk about that threat. So, as we wrap up, um, let's just look ahead a little bit, and I I want to do another hypothetical here with you, Tim, just as a quick final thought to sort of stoke some some consideration and, and squeeze out enough minutes to get this past the hour mark on a, on a very boring part of the, part of the calendar. Um, I'm going to give you three options and I want you to give me your three. You can pick a player to be fit to start and play 90 minutes for every game the rest of the season. You can pick a player to be fit to start and play 90 minutes for half our remaining games this season. And you can pick a, but you must pick a player um, well I've got I'm gonna have to do this in a way because if I give it to you that way, you can just be like, oh, I'll pick on Nenny as the last one. You must All right, no. All right, I'm gonna do it this way. You pick a player to play all 90 all 90 minutes of every game this season, half of the games this season, and none of the games this season between Rice, Saliba, and Gabriel Jesus.
3: So for all of the minutes. I'm going to say Saliba. Um, my answer might be different if Julian Timber um, was fit, but don't get me wrong, don't want to lose Declan Rice, but I do think there's there's depth in midfield. Um, so I, I think Saliba I'd choose for that. Is it the other choose half, choose zero? Yep. And then there's Rice and Jesus. I would, I tell you what, I, I'd then pick Jesus for half and I'd probably pick rice for none just because mm. of the kind of the midfield depth we do have. Um, it is, it's very different. Like I'm very clear Saliba for all, but then it, it just comes down to what you think of the kind of the quality. And I guess the durability, if you told me that like part will be fit in January. <laughs> I know, right? And he'll that stay that tricky. way. Then then yeah, then like, sorry, Declan, but like there's someone else there, like Rice Partey. Yeah, that kind of works. And we've got other midfielders we can work around. Or do you think, well, actually Leandro Trossard up front for the rest of the season, we could work with that Trossard and Nketiah. I think I would be and and look, we came very close without Declan Rice last season. We didn't without Saliba. So <laughs> that's that's like a part of it. And and even when Jesus was out, we were kind of keeping pace. So on, on those admittedly reductive reasonings, um I that that's how I'd go. I'd go Rice Zero, Jesus, Harp, and Saliba all.
1: I'll make it slightly easier for you, Clive, and then I'll add this feature. All the other players stay fit. Okay? So you have the whole other squad available. But you got to pick these three. All the games for one of them, half the games for one of them, none of the games for one of them. How are you picking?
2: Yeah, I'd go exactly the same way. Uh, teams are sensible, man. I mean, flipping out. You know, he, <laughs> uh, it just makes perfect, perfect sense. And I suppose the sleeper thing is crystallizing in our minds every, by every single week, isn't it? We debated this last year. We were, we knew he was out. We thought, yeah, well, we're okay. we okay we, let's see how we can manage it let's try different solutions and then it's slowly dawning on you that actually you've started to miss him then we found a solution and we found Keeve's right right centre back and we, we had a level of stability but we were still a little bit kiddy and we were nervous and we threw it away towards the end Right, and 115 charge City ran away and got the travel I can live with it I can live with it but seeing him play this year it just made me think oh my god we missed him last year even more you know, and know, um, I think he's gone to a new level I think we're playing him a lot more as a central centre-back, a lot more in the 3-2 um, I think Ben White's a little bit more aggressive last year and so he was a lot more in the 2 but now he's a central guy and we're using him for ball progression so we can see him on the ball and we can see him obviously defending in that in that central slot, sweeping around being the guy that's at the back of the team so he's literally like a controller, a FIFA controller, controlling everything and defenders now are becoming centre midfielders they're the ball progression so when guy gets back and his hips are facing the right direction so They will be passing straight to him right so things have changed in the game they're the most valuable assets to me and when he had a bit of a contract issue and the number of his contracts obviously went a little bit high that seems pretty cheap quite now do you know what I mean mm. and we think of his age and where he's going so yeah, my only issue is Elliot, when I see a player, I'm very, very consistent, when I see a player like that doing what he's doing on a regular basis, I then think, okay, that single point of failure is scaring me, what can we do? And I think the club will be looking at another aura-based defender with power and size to bring into our team in the next, in the next two windows, shall we say, because that's too important to mm. us, that player.
1: Yeah, so <clears throat> I'll go against the grain here. I like what both of you said, and I see the logic of it. I'll keep Jesus fit for all the games. I'll keep Saliba fit for half the games, and Union Rice for not. You and your attacking, and football. well, and so here's my thinking. If you get lucky with the game, because I'm not saying which games, maybe you get lucky, and the half the games means that you got Saliba for the City game. You know, you got Saliba for Anfield. But I do think you can move Ben White to center back and play Tomiyasu at right back or Tomiyasu at center back and like in most games, the way we control games, I don't think that's a problem. I think there's a lot of bad teams in this league that we can dominate that way. I think Saliba might be our best player, and Declan Rice might be our best player, by the way, who I picked to play none of the games. Um but I've set this up, so it is very, very hard. I don't think we can win a title with our attack being as it is, and having just done the data review and seeing what it revealed about some of the Eddie and Kedia stuff, it's not sustainable. It's just not. I, I absolutely love the way he can get into space and score goals, but the data shows you that there is there's just a huge Jesus sized hole in our link up, our combination play, our ability to create chances for the rest of the team. I'd keep Jesus fit because you you. You need something like a top-of-the-table striker at the front of a team to win a title. You can't do it without it. So I would have him. I'd have Saliba for half the games and hope that Ben White or Tomiasu or Kibior could get us through some of the easier games. And then with the Rice thing, it really is a gamble on maybe you get lucky and Party plays 80% of the second-half games and Jorginho plus Odegaard plus Kai Havertz can get you through some of it. I mean, maybe even against like a, you know, a... I don't know, you know, a... Burnley or Sheffield United or uh, you know, Luton at home, you can you can use El Neni. If, I, again, I'm not saying these are great things. None of these are great things. I'd like them all to be fit the whole time, but that's probably how I'd go. Clive, it sounds like you want to come back on that.
2: No, I, I I know we look at football differently. I'm a guy that thinks about stability a lot. Um, I remember the pain of conceding goals a lot more than maybe you guys do. <laughs> and I just hate it. And I just I know a team can't function unless he's got these stabilizers on. And those players that stabilize us make me feel like we can do something. I've always looked at the game that way. Since old Campbell arrived with Color Torre, I thought, okay, I can see it now. This is why the Patrick Vieira is my favourite player. Could he stabilise us? I think Declan Rice is a, is a similar guy that stabilises. People that control the variables, control the game, that have that extraordinary skill in one-on-ones. They're the things that, for me, that allow you to attack. I just expect attackers, everyone to score goals, everyone can find an attacker, Pick the right one. Go let them play. Just the people that have got that one-on-one aura ability in in duels. That, those stabilizers are really, really important to me. However, Elliot, mm. to your point, if you're a non-Arsenal person, you look at this team and say it looks really good. They need a striker. They need a striker, and that really is the common man's view of Arsenal Football Club. We need a striker. And we can debate whether it's a winger or wing forward, or we need another striker because that's what our competitive landscape has. We talk about Liverpool. Talk about City. They have strikers coming out of their neck. We are. I am now thinking on Saturday night. Reese Nelson might be playing left wing for Arsenal on Saturday night for managing people's legs. Is that enough? Is that enough? Not and so,
1: you. and that's that's why.
2: that's the problem and trust can could be playing center forward is that enough
1: and and like you can kind of get by but we know you need to be near 90 points or over it to win a title and so getting by isn't what we're striving for again this question wasn't set up to say what's your ideal your ideal is they all play all the games right so i I love it i sort of see your side of it I, i slightly differ just in terms of how i want obviously my attack to play um go check out the data review and you'll see why I feel the way I feel. And the part two of that will be coming this week, Elliot versus Paul coming up tomorrow. We might have a scouting video this week or it might go next week. We'll see how it goes, but we're almost there. We're almost there. Few few more days of this nonsense. And then we get back to regular Arsenal football. So we'll leave it there and uh, come back to you every day this week to get you through it. <clears throat> so until then, Tim's on Twitter at Stominator. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Lives on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thank you, Clyde.
2: Thank you very much.
1: My name's Elliot Smith. Love you so much for being here. We love you. We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Fred